Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad you're joining us, either here or online. We began a series a couple of weeks ago called Divine Direction, and today's uh, title is Trusting God's Process. And this is about decision-making. Um, the problem is uh, we're all not gr great decision-makers, or not all the time good decision-makers. So that's why we're discussing this. And this is a question I get asked more than anything else is, I guess my opinion or my insight into what should I do, Pastor, about this or about that. Often I can't answer that, and that's why we're going through this process so you can figure it out on your own. Um, so, reviewing from last week or last couple of weeks, the decisions we make are huge because they determine the life that we live. In this case, the stories that we tell tomorrow and the stories we tell today are because of decisions we made in the back, uh, in the past. Now, I've been discussing some causes of indecisiveness. Uh, it seems to be a common characteristic of the, especially newer generation. So what are some reasons why we are indecisive? Well, two weeks ago we talked about there's just so many options. Whether it's what to watch on TV, uh, flavors of ice cream, uh, whatever it might be, use of your time. There's just so many options anymore. So when you're flooded with so many options, sometimes it's hard to pick one. Um, in our small group, we were talking about going to a restaurant and the menu. <laughs> My wife and I, have let, because of our diet, we have a lot less options. It makes it a little bit easier. But for some of you, if they've got uh, 50 things on the, on the uh, menu, you've got to choose something out of those 50 things. Um, so, eventually you usually find something you like, whether it's some kind of uh, uh, meat dish or certain meat you like, fish or whatever. And I don't know about you, but eventually we'd order similar things um, when I go back, just to make it easier to decide. You eliminate some of those options. So, so many options. Another reason is illusion of, of perfection, especially since we have multi um, Facebook and those things, uh, social media. You see a what appears to be perfect lives, whether they're perfect marriages, perfect bodies, uh, perfect meal they prepared, perfect vacation. We just came back from vacation. Uh, there aren't perfect anythings, but there's an illusion of it. And our lives seem so maybe ordinary compared to what other people's lives. So we're indecisive. A new one I came across was this, over-programming kids, those of you who have children. Um, what you've done, or our genera newer generations have done, is you've programmed your kids' lives. You've decided they're going to take piano lessons this day and something else this day, and you're going to spend your time here. <clears throat> when I grew up, my parents would say to me, especially during the summer, go outside and play. Did they tell us what to do? Did they program our time? No. no, we figured it out. We played ball, or we rode our bikes, or we played King of the Mountain, or uh, hide and seek. We, we filled up our day. We made decisions how to spend our time. Um, we have a term for helicopter parents. They're just always hovering over their kids, just telling them what to do. And so, 
what happens is they don't develop what I, what I came across was called the decision-making muscle. I like that term. Decision-making muscle or decision-making ability. And so we need to let our children make decisions. That's part of their growing up process. So that's one reason people are indecisive. Not saying you're not supposed to be great parents. Bleeds over to adult life then in what's called career paralysis. Either they don't want to pick the wrong career or they just can't decide what career. So I put on your outline, an uncommitted life, somebody can't decide, is always an unsuccessful life. You can't move forward, you're paralyzed, you're stuck. One of the other reason is fear of missing out. A statistic I've shared before is for the first time uh, in our country's history, the, more than 50% of Americans are not married. It's just kind of a weird statistic. When I first heard it, I didn't believe it. Because most people I know are married. Well, when I was growing up, almost everybody was married, right? So what has happened? I think part of the reason is fear of missing out. We either fear of missing, if I marry this person, I'll miss out on this other person, or fear I'm going to miss out on what I want to do if I'm involved in a, in a relationship, marriage, etc. So commit to decision-making. Now, so I, hopefully we all would like to be more decisive, make better decisions or good decisions. So that's, just, that's our goal in this series. So I want to look at something that happened in the life of Paul. Most of you know who Paul was. He wrote a bunch of, uh, a bunch of the Bible, uh, New Testament. And uh, we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul is already on his third missionary journey. In fact, he's, what's going to happen is going to be the end of his third missionary journey. He's in Ephesus. He's having a good time. He enjoys it. Feels at home there. If he had his way, he would probably have stayed in Ephesus. Um, but then he tells the, the elders of the church, I, 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 I'd rather stay here, but I've got to go. <laughs> we'll see why he has to go. And uh, so it's a very an emotional uh, time for, for him in the church there. So we'll read the text, then we'll go back and kind of uh, divide it up. <clears throat> so with that context, he says, and now, I'd rather stay here, but compelled by the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Despite that, or however, I consider my life worthy, uh, life worthy, worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task, testifying to the good news of God's grace. So I want to help you with the trusting God's process. We're going to divide this up into four categories. Start with this. He said i got to leave. i got to go. Why? Because the Spirit is prompting me. Read that verse again. And now compelled by the Spirit. No, back up. Let me go forward. <laughs> and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now that word compelled literally means to bound or to uh, be pulled by a cord. So I kind of combined them and said, I'm bound by this cord and I'm pulled by this cord. 
This translation is used the word compelled by the Spirit. So the Spirit has got a hold of me. It's bound me and it's pulling me or it's leading me. From Ephesus, he knew specifically where? To Jerusalem, the center of the church uh, at this time. <clears throat> you and I, it's important for us to be aware of the Spirit compelling us. Uh, I'll give you some examples out of our lives. Um, about 1980, I've been a pastor for a couple of years, and um, in our denomination, uh, at that time, our two mission boards, called one was called the Foreign Mission Board, and one was called the Home Mission Board. One was for missionaries overseas, one for missionaries in the United States. They would send out a monthly periodical, a magazine. And so as a young pastor at the church, we get these magazines, so I would read them. So as I was reading the one about the... Um, international missions, I've been reading about these, uh, and it had pretty pictures too of overseas, kind of like National Geographic, but anyway, uh, they talk about all these ministries and how few people there were and how few Christians there were in these places in the world. And I'm thinking, wow, we got churches all over the place, pastors all over the place, uh, it doesn't seem fair. And that term, it doesn't seem fair, I just couldn't get out of my mind. And so my wife and I started talking about this. So he started checking into what was required to be a, we would say, a missionary, pastor overseas. <clears throat> well, I robbed a cradle, as some of you know. I married my wife right out of high school, and so she didn't go to college, right? Well, one of the requirements for the spouse of the pastor or the missionary was two years of college. And so we'd been married for a few years. We had two children at this time. We checked into another mission board. Their requirement was to have four-year college degree for the wife. And so we said, okay, uh, what do we do? How do we do this? We had very little money. That was another issue. And so we said, okay, let's try. So with two small children, my wife started, I think, two classes at college, community college, uh, here. Um, you know, I don't know if everybody knows what Pell Grants are, but basically the government paid for my wife's education because we were that poor, so to speak. And so she took two classes and went, well, she took two more classes. So four years later, she had her uh, associate's degree. And so at that point, we felt really compelled by the Spirit. We had no, nothing stopping us, and we just kind of breezed through the process, and by... Uh, she finished, I guess, in the summer, spring of 84, and by January 1st, 85, we arrived in Portugal. Another issue we had, we owned a house. You couldn't be in debt and be a missionary. So I don't know how many of you remember 1984. But interest rates were 17%. you think they're bad now? 17%. We had to sell our house, and we sold it in one day at full price. Compelled by the Spirit. So, that's a biggie, but we little compelled. I get a, uh, feel compelled sometimes to make a phone call. And maybe you do too. Or write a letter to somebody. Or send an email to somebody. Uh, doesn't have to be a big thing. Some of you, I believe, have been compelled to be in a small group. We talk about small groups all the time. And we've got some new people uh, in their small group. Some of you are feeling compelled by the Holy Spirit to be in a small group and have decided not to be. But we don't always do what the Spirit compels us to do, do we? Maybe it's to be involved in a ministry. 
Maybe you sing and would like to join Claudia up here. Play an instrument and join the folks up here. Maybe some other ministry. Uh, feel compelled. Now, here's a big question. How do you know when it's the Spirit compelling you? My answer to you is you don't always know. Sometimes I feel compelled to make a phone call and nobody answers. Did God compel me? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But maybe sometimes it's just God wants to know if I'm going to be obedient, right? Responsive to uh, the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. So in this trusting God process, we start with being compelled by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I'm going to call certain uncertainty. Certain uncertainty. The passage goes on. Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. What does he say next? Not knowing what will happen to me. Uncertain, right? Not certain. And like Paul, we want details, right? When we talked about going overseas and being missionaries, God, I don't know how I can learn another language. That seems mind-boggling to me to be able to do my ministry, preaching, counseling, all that stuff in, in another language. Didn't know the details. Right? We want details. Reminded me of a, a line from a movie, um, A Few Good Men. Um, Jack Nicholas is on the stand, and the lawyer's you know, talking to him, and he said, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Now, I don't think God talks to us that way. I think God says, oh, my dear son, my dear child, my dear daughter. Um, I, I would show you the details, but you can't handle them. You wouldn't know what to do. In fact, it would probably dissuade you. Made me think about our, our pilgrimage here. We've been at, at this church for over 30 years. And um, we had no idea what the 30 years were going to look like back in the beginning, of course. Some of you have been here longer. I had no idea what it was going to look like. But if we had known some of the heartache and some of the betrayal and some of the pain that we've suffered over the years, we would have never came or never been left right away. But we didn't. And so, compelled by the Spirit of God, we went through those things. But there's so much good things too. Compelled, not knowing. Other scriptures that kind of support this idea is uh, from the psalm. Uh, Your word, God's word, is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Now what we want is we want to see the whole deal. We want to be able to see miles. I thought about using a flashlight to walk through the woods at night. One time I, I did a part, part of a run through the woods. Um, and all you do is shine... <laughs> John, you've probably done it. Six feet in front of you, right? You have no clue what's further than that. That's all you can, because you've got to plant your feet on something, something good. Um, so that's what the living the Christian life's like. God shines a light for you to take the next step or the next step. We just want steps six, seven, and eight. He said, no, no, no. I'm just going to show you steps one, two, and three. See if you'll be obedient then. Then I'll show you the next steps. The verse we used last week. We make our plans... But the Lord determines our steps. So what's your plan? It's good to plan. But what's your plan? If we take Paul as an example, it should rarely be about the future. Did Paul know what his future was going to be? No, he didn't know what his future was going to be. But be about our obedience today. Paul said, okay, 
I love it here in Ephesus. I love you folks. I love this church, but I got to go. I'm compelled by the Spirit. I got to be obedient. Don't know what's going to happen, but got to be obedient. See, we want certainties, right? We want to know it's all going to turn out good. We want to know that, you know, this is going to make me happy or whatever it might be. God doesn't work that way. Another verse we used last week. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathways of life. I will advise you and watch over you. So I have uncertainty about the future, but I have certainty about what? The Lord will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord will guide you the best pathway. The Lord will give, advise you. The Lord will watch over you. These are the certainties that we have. But some uncertainty is good, and I'll explain to you why. Read a verse out of Hebrews. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you've got certainty about your future, do you need any faith? Don't need any faith, do you? So part of the Christian life, built in, God wants us to live by faith, which means we live in uncertainty about the future. Uh, we don't know the future, a song or something, but we know who holds the future, right? God holds the future. So is Paul uncertain about his future? Absolutely. But here's the big question. Did it change? Did he say, oh, I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, so I'm not going to go. Did he change anything? No, I didn't change anything. So what can we learn from Paul? I'm not going to know the future. All I know is about the present. If God's leading me or God's speaking to me or if I feel compelled or I feel I need to use my gifts in, in this ministry or that ministry, I'm going to do it. Is it always going to be smooth? Always going to go great? No. In fact, <laughs> that brings us to the third point in trusting God's process. Predictable resistance. I can guarantee you there will be difficulties if you follow the Spirit's leading. There will. It's just built in. Reason is, why? Well, let's read the verse first. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me uh-oh, what's the warning? Prison and hardship are facing me. Okay, so if you, if you study Paul's life, he'd go into cities and he would get persecuted, he would get stoned, they have shipwrecks and all kinds of things he went through. What was important though was he went, right? And when you do what God wants you to do, guess who's not very happy about that? The evil one, Satan, the devil, whatever term you prefer to use for him. So when you and I aren't doing anything to upset his kingdom, he'll leave us alone. Sometimes I say it this way. If your life doesn't have opposition, maybe you need to be doing something else. Because when you're doing what God wants, Satan pushes back. There's going to be resistance. So it's predictable. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this a big deal? Little deal? No deal at all. What do you think? Big deal, right? Big deal. <laughs> so I put on your outline. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. I could think of lots of illustrations, but uh, Ellen Savoy's in her first service, and this is one that involved her, uh, her and I mostly. But, uh, you know, we have a child care here. Well, years ago, 20 years ago or so, we had a child care here also in the building. But it was our child care. The staff people we paid, uh, we hired. They were responsible to us. So, I forget how many kids we had back then, but we had, you know, 
30, 40 kids, I guess. The building was smaller then, and we just, that's only all, all the kids we could have. But anyway, a lady and her daughter were our, our main staff people. They were full-time. Other people were part-time. <clears throat> well, we come to find out that the daughter was living with her boyfriend. And we felt, as a staff person, that wasn't okay. <laughs> All right? And so we went and said to her, okay, you can move back home, or you can get married. But they were rebellious, if that's the right word. Uh, and they said, no, you can't tell us what to do. Technically, we couldn't. But we also get to say, well, we're sorry, we can't let you continue as an employee. So to uh, conclude this, we had a meeting. This, these folks went to a ch local church. So their pastor came to support them. And a bunch of parents, because they obviously wanted their kids to be taken care of. And so they all tried to convince us to let this, this be okay. And we said, we're sorry. As a staff person of our church, you can't be doing this. And so uh, we were in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a small room, kind of crammed in there. And Ellen and I was kind of like, everybody else is against us. Well, it was everybody else is against us. And eventually we said, we're sorry. And we had to close the meeting and we left. And everybody else stayed. But Ellen and I walked out. It kind of reminded me of that scripture where Jesus had to walk through the crowd that was opposing him. It's exactly what we did. So you're going to get re resistance. Some more uh, lighthearted examples. Uh, back in 1980, whatever, three maybe, uh, Josh was supposed to go to kindergarten, our oldest son. And we'd been studying, listening to James Dobson and radio and read some books. And we said, we'd like to do this homeschooling thing. Well, most of you know about homeschooling now. Nobody knew about homeschooling in 1983. Let me guarantee you. In fact, our parents even thought we were crazy. But we felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to homeschool. It made it possible for us to do what we did on the mission field. And we homeschooled our kids all the way through. I don't think we messed them up too much. Some of you know them. <laughs> Some of you are married to them. <laughs> all right? Um, but, you know, we got resistance, even from our family. More recently, of course, we've always done this. We've always eaten weird, my wife and I. We'll study diets and certain stuff and, and decide to eat a certain way. Well, we've been compelled by the Holy Spirit, I believe, to be the way, eat the way we are now. <clears throat> and lots of you lightheartedly do. Give us a hard time about it, right? Uh, you think it's, I guess, crazy or whatever. So we get resistance. It's built in. When you make weird decisions, people are going to resist. Most importantly, though, is when we're doing what God wants to do, the evil one is going to resist. So you've got to be ready for it. So I put on your outline, resistance is not a sign that you're out of God's will. In fact, it's often most probably a sign that you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. And you'll be under attack. So, on your outline, the struggle you're having today. So it's okay. It's okay to have resistance. It's okay to struggle. The struggle you're having today is developing the spiritual strength, the spiritual muscle that you'll need tomorrow. So we need to get trust God's process. A <clears throat> little bit of background on Paul. Paul was a very educated, uh, staunch uh, Jew, actually a Pharisee, right? 
which really benefited him later in life. But when Christianity came along, he thought it was a, a perversion of, uh, of Judaism. And he felt so strongly about it that he went about arresting people just for the fact that they called themselves Christians. And some of them were even killed. That's how passionate he was about it. But then he had this, this amazing transformation, uh, encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it changed his life. So, the Paul that we know from reading the New Testament, did that happen automatically? Did that happen right away? It's fascinating. If we look at it, he says one place that for three years, he kind of basically was off by himself or was studying. Now, he knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, his Bible. But three years. He didn't get to preach. He didn't get to teach for three years. And then, as we can understand, he tried to get into ministry. Well, who wants to hire a preacher that was killing Christians? Not going over too well on your resume, is it? So best we can tell for years, you know, he couldn't get a preaching engagement, if you will. And uh, best we can tell, it was probably eight years from that transformation till Barnabas comes along and says, hey, we need to support this guy. And talk about a first sermon. He preached his first sermon. You know what happened? People threatened to kill him, just like Jesus. Of course, they were Jews. He needed those eight years to be ready to face the next 20 years. Last point in the, in the process. Trusting God's process with uncommon confidence. So, okay. Um, I got to leave. I don't want to leave. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I know every time I go anywhere, there's hardship, prison, and hardships. However, despite that, what? I consider my life worth nothing to me. No big deal. Whatever happens to me, my only aim, my only goal, my only desire is to finish the race. And us guys that run races can relate to that. First task is to finish, right? And complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying. His task was, to, and our task as Jesus followers, testifying to the good news of God's grace. So what did he do? He went to Jerusalem. What happened in Jerusalem? He got arrested. He went to Rome. He spent the rest of his life in prison and was eventually executed. But he didn't care about only one thing, completing the task. Part of that was being obedient, right? So on your outline, Paul didn't have a plan for his future. He didn't have a plan for what was going to happen in Jerusalem. He didn't have a plan for past that, right? He had a plan to obey the Spirit today. So he told the elders in Ephesus, I don't want to, but I got to go. One thing we see also in Paul's life that <laughs> I guess he couldn't get hired as a pastor, so he uh, made tents as well as fulfilling that one aim. I don't know what your tent making is. I don't know what you do for a living, whether you're a school teacher or uh, uh, whatever you are. Stay-at-home mom, even. What is your plan? Is it plan to obey the Spirit today? If you want your plan to succeed, you know how your plan succeeds? By obeying the Spirit today. Most of you probably have heard of this. I don't know the source. Couldn't find the source, actually. Do you want to make God laugh? 
Tell him your plans. Now, one reason it is because his plans are greater than our plans. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. So if you're becoming, we've been saying this each week, if you're becoming the right who, the right Jesus follower, the right character, godly character, God will help you choose the right do. And if you're driven by the right why or the right motivation, God will lead you to the right what. See, the problem is, what are we mostly about? We're mostly about us, by nature, right? My, what I want, my plan. So we need the Spirit of God to get us out of that, or past that, or through that. And again, how do you please God? By faith, or by trusting. So quick reviews. Trusting what? Spirit's prompting. Compelled by the Spirit. Certain uncertainty, certain things you're sure about, whatever that is he's telling you to do, do it. But you don't know what's going to be the result. One thing you do know, though, you will face resistance. But with the Spirit's leading, we can face it with uncommon confidence. You know what? One other thing that happens? You worry less. We talk about that a lot. We worry less. So here's what your assignment is. Pick one of these areas. What point of God's trusting process do you need to trust him more right now? Is it his prompting? He's prompting you to do something and you're, you're not doing it. And how can you follow through and make it happen? If we can help you in any way, please let us know. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, thank you. We thank you that you have the plan, if you want to call it that. Your spirit is going to direct us in the way you want us to go. The question is, are we willing to follow? And what makes it tough is we know that sometimes there's going to be resistance. Maybe most of the time. Maybe all the time. And none of us likes difficulties, hardships, resistance. But that's how faith grows. That's how that faith muscle grows. So I pray, God, we would have the courage to use our faith and be obedient. Not for us, first and foremost, but for your glory. To testify the good news of Jesus Christ. And so any of the, that may be listening or watching that aren't a Jesus, our Jesus Father, we would urge you today. We are testifying that you need the Lord Jesus Christ. That you need forgiveness for your sins. And you need a relationship with Almighty. Both for life here and for life eternal. Please, don't let this day end without seriously considering becoming a Jesus follower, surrendering your life to him, like the young lady we saw in the video. Let that inspire us. Let that encourage us. Thank you, Jesus, for being here this morning. Continue to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.